Good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you would get your Bible out and open it up to 1 Kings, the 19th chapter. 1 Kings chapter 19 is where we're going to begin momentarily. We're going to read a couple of verses there that will help to set up all the things that we want to think about tonight from the Word of God. 1 Kings chapter 19. And as you're turning there and as you're getting settled in for uh, this, a second opportunity to study from the Word of God today, I will say just how great it is to uh, have just the privilege to stand before you and to talk about things from the Bible that I hope will be instructive and helpful for you. It's been a beautiful day. The Lord's just blessed us in a good kind of way, and I'm glad to have this second chance to be together and to study uh, in the pages of Scripture. Let's read together in 1 Kings 19. We're reading here about Elijah. Elijah, you'll remember in chapter 18, has just had this amazing contest with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and he's been victorious and he has proven that there is only one God and it's not Baal, it's Jehovah. And so he's on a spiritual high, but in chapter 19, that high comes crashing down. Because in chapter 19, beginning in verse 9, we find that Elijah, Elijah is in a cave. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. God then says some more things to Elijah. In fact, He does some things to try to pick Elijah up, to boost him up in verses uh, 11, 12, and 13. But then notice in verse 14, Elijah says again, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to turn it away. You know, this passage has often been used to talk about how Elijah was discouraged, to say some things about how Elijah was physically and emotionally and spiritually fatigued. He was tired. This passage has even been used to talk about how Elijah seems depressed. And I think there's applications to be made in all of those directions. But maybe the thing that is most obviously afflicting Elijah at this time is that he's lonely. Twice in this conversation with God, Elijah says, God, I feel all alone. In fact, I think that that loneliness is made all the more painful by the fact that he's tried to do the right thing. He's tried to serve the Lord. He's tried to serve the Lord's people and bring them to repentance. But at the end of all of that, he is not patted on the back. He is not surrounded by all of his countrymen, all of his brethren and his friends. He's not hoisted up on people's shoulders and celebrated as a hero. No. No, instead, he's holed up, lodging in a cave, all alone. Can you relate to that? Have you ever been lonely? Have you ever felt alone? Somebody maybe says, I'm so lonely in my marriage. We don't seem to do anything together anymore. Somebody else maybe says, well, I've got some friends and acquaintances, some people at work, and maybe even some friends at church, and they do invite me to go out with them from time to time, but no one ever seems to show an interest in me or ask me about what's going on in my life. I, I feel alone. Maybe someone else says, I'm... 
I'm widowed. I miss my spouse. My children are all grown and they live in other places. I'm so lonely. Maybe somebody else says, I'm in my mid-40s and I still haven't found the right person to marry. I crave someone to share my life with. Maybe even to complicate all of those scenarios and something all of us ought to be able to relate to is the fact that for the last five or six months we've been living in the middle of a global pandemic in which we have been asked and been asked to consider and to think about the idea of distancing ourselves from one another. And so there's been isolation. There's been some disconnectedness that has taken place and that's maybe made our loneliness even worse. I certainly don't think it's an exaggeration to say that loneliness can be a real problem. Study after study shows that loneliness can be responsible for things like insomnia and certain forms of depression and yes, even suicide amongst many other things. Loneliness can be a serious problem. You know, we talk about how the Bible has answers for life's problems. Okay, what's the Bible have to say about being lonely? We talk about how Christianity provides the abundant life. I'll tell you this, it doesn't feel all that abundant whenever you're lonely. We talk about how God, He cares for us and He knows our hurts and He wants to help us, all right? What does God have to say And what does God do in order to help me in my struggle with loneliness? God came to Elijah. He spoke to that lonely man. What does God speak and say to me today? It seems to me that this is not a pretty subject to talk about. But it is a tremendously important subject nonetheless. Because people give up on the Lord. People quit the church. People get involved in terribly wicked sin because they are overwrought with feelings of loneliness. And sometimes even anger and resentment can build up against God or maybe against God's people because you know what? It doesn't seem like they're doing anything about my lonely situation. This is not a really happy-making topic. But it is an enormously important topic for us to look at and to think about through the lens of Scripture. What kind of help, what kind of hope does the Bible provide for someone who is lonely? Now right about now, somebody's probably thinking, Josh, I'm not so sure that we even need to be talking about this. I mean, after all, why should someone, particularly a Christian, be complaining about being lonely? We have God, don't we? We have a relationship with Jesus Christ, don't we? We sing that song all the time. What a friend we have in Jesus. Don't we believe that? I mean, come on, what more do you need? In fact, some are even so bold as to say from time to time, well, I'll tell you what, if you're a Christian and you're feeling lonely, then that's an indication that something is wrong with you spiritually. And that is a common thought. That loneliness is a sign of spiritual weakness or that feeling lonely is maybe even wrong. Well, I'm going to say emphatically right out of the gate this morning that loneliness is not sinful. It's just not. Look with me in Genesis chapter 2. Let's just go back to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, here is a passage that I am afraid that we're just almost too familiar with. And that this is something that just does not jump out at us more than it should. In Genesis chapter 2, I'm reading here in verse 18, in the creation account as that's winding up. The Lord says, Genesis 2, 18, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. 
What ought to stand out to us about that verse is that everything that God has made thus far, God has specifically said it was good. God makes this and the Lord saw it and said it was good. God makes that. The Lord saw it and said that it was good. You just start in Genesis chapter 1 and you just start cranking your way through. It's good, 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 good. Then you come to 2.18 and it's not good. Whoa! What's going on there? What's that all about? God says that Adam being alone is not good. And I will remind you that Adam had God. He did. Adam walked and talked with God. Adam had relationship with God at a deeper level than you and I will ever know in this lifetime. And yet God said as important as that relationship is between man and God, Adam still needed relationship with someone who was like him. Someone who he could talk with face to face. Someone who was like him in the flesh. God said, Adam, you are lonely. And so I will create for you a companion. What that says to me is that says to me that it is not wrong to feel lonely. God made us in a certain way in His image as part of who and what we are. What that means is is that God created within us certain emotions and certain desires. Like, Like it's not wrong to be sleepy. And it's not wrong to be hungry. And what Genesis 2.18 is affirming to us that in the same way, it's not wrong to feel lonely. I understand and I hope that you understand that loneliness does remind us of our need for God. That's That's a good thing. And loneliness does remind us that this world will never be perfect. And it makes us long to leave this place and to go and to be in that place where God is. But even more than all of that, Loneliness reminds us that we were created as social creatures. We cry out, our hearts cry out, because we crave others who will be social with us. People who will be our companions. People who will be our friends. What the Bible's telling us is that like, just like you don't need to repent for being hungry, or just like you don't need to repent for being sleepy, unless you're asleep during church, but you don't have to repent for being lonely. And yet even as the Bible is telling us that, I think the Bible is also warning us. I'll say one more time that loneliness is not sinful, but loneliness does lend itself to certain temptations. That there are just some things that lonely people need to be watching out for so that loneliness does not become a gateway to sin. And there's lots of things, but I'll give you just a couple. For example, what about the temptation to settle for bad relationships? You know, many times when a person is feeling lonely and someone comes along in their life who maybe shows just the slightest bit of interest in them, then a relationship is formed that is just not good. A relationship that just is not edifying. Maybe even a relationship that leads to sin. Think about the gang culture in inner cities. The gang culture just feeds on this very idea. When gangs are looking to recruit new members, where do they look? Who do they target? They target young, impressionable teenagers, lots of times the ones that are lonely. 
Teens who don't look like they have any friends. Teens who maybe grew up in single parent homes. Teens who are hungry for some kind of attention. And when a young person is starving for attention and they're not getting that at home or they're not getting that at school, then it's not hard to see why the gang brotherhood looks so appealing. And yeah, there may be some drugs that go along with that. There may be some crime and some violence that goes along with that. But hey, at least it's something. At least it's something. It sure beats being alone all the time. Or what about maybe a person who is unmarried, who desperately craves that kind of intimate companionship. They want to get married so badly that the very first sign of love, they just jump headlong right into a relationship that they never should have even gotten involved in in the first place. I, I, I know of someone, I know a person, I'm thinking of someone in very specific, a man that I've known who's been lonely for a long, long time and he's been looking for love for a long, long time and every girl that he ever meets who gives him any time of day, who's willing to talk to him and show any kind of friendship interest in him, he's looking to marry that girl within about 15 seconds. And i got to tell you, I absolutely dread the day when some poor girl actually says yes to a marriage proposal from him because I'm afraid it's going to end in trouble. When a person is just so anxious to get out of that rut of loneliness, there is a strong temptation to latch on to somebody, anybody, who will give you the time of day no matter how unwise that relationship might be. Would you look with me though in Matthew the 18th chapter? Look with me in Matthew chapter 18. Here is a passage that sometimes is difficult for us to see the application. But I believe it applies directly to this very point. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus talks about temptation. And so he says in Matthew 18, I'm reading here in verse 8, he says, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Jesus says here that there are worse things than being lonely. And he says that in fact it would be better for a person to not have any friends at all than to have wicked friends or to maybe be stuck in a loveless marriage or maybe as we talked about this morning to get involved in fornication and in the process lose your very soul. It's not worth it, Jesus says. It's not worth it to settle for bad relationships in this lifetime if it means going to hell for all of eternity. But that's not the only temptation that's linked to loneliness. What about this second temptation? What about the temptation to wallow in self-pity? You know, when you're lonely, it's pretty easy to decide that I am the only person who's ever felt this way. I'm the only person who's ever been this alone. Everybody else that I see and everybody else in the whole world seems like they've got a close relationship or two or three or maybe even more. And I'm the only person in the whole wide world who's ever felt so alone. That kind of sounds like Elijah in the passage that we began with, doesn't it? And you know what? If you stir that around long enough, pretty soon what that turns into is it turns into, well, nobody cares about me. 
In fact, I'm not even so sure that God cares about me. And slowly but surely you find yourself pulling away from people. You're disconnecting yourself from the local church. You are exempting yourself from God's commands and God's laws. And before you know it, you've completely given up on the Lord altogether. If you're still here in Matthew, would you look with me over in chapter 26? You know, people say things like, no one understands. No one's ever been alone like me. Really? I'll invite you to look in Matthew chapter 26. Because in Matthew chapter 26, here in this seminal moment, where Jesus is being unjustly accused, He is being arrested for crimes He did not commit, at a moment when He most needed people, friends, to be with Him. We read in Matthew 26, look at the end of verse 56. Then all the disciples left Him and fled. Jesus was alone. And as we read further in Matthew, look in the very next chapter in Matthew 27, where Jesus is hanging and dying on the cross, suffering in agonizing fashion, we read this even more in Matthew 27, look in verse 45, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No one, I repeat, no one has ever been this alone. No one has ever been as God forsaken as Jesus was God forsaken. And yet what is most amazing to me here is that Jesus does not give up. Jesus does not curse His Father and say, forget the whole thing. No, what Jesus does is He continues to obey. Even when His friends have deserted Him and left Him alone, Jesus continues to do God's will. Even as He hangs there, bleeding, suffering, and dying terribly, Jesus serves the Father. Even in loneliness, in the isolation of being literally the only person who has ever borne the sins of all the world of all time, Jesus continues to serve His Father. And I love, of course, when you look there in verse 46, that Jesus turns to God, not away from God. And what I need to add right here is that this ought to be of tremendous encouragement if you are lonely this evening. Because what this teaches us is that Jesus understands how you feel. He is a sympathetic high priest. And while I understand full well the need for human companionship, we'll talk about that in just a moment, don't think for a moment that ever you are truly alone. The Lord knows and the Lord knows in a way that really no one else could know. Jesus' example gives us great hope. And what all of this is to say is that trusting in the Lord, that's what leads to solutions. That's what leads to the only possible solutions. Solutions that can be found by listening to His Word. And I do want us to mine out some of those solutions. And I want to begin that in the book of Mark. If you're just here in Matthew, just take a sharp right over to Mark in Mark chapter 12. Let me show you some verses that I think help us to begin to address the problem of loneliness. 
In Mark the 12th chapter, you will remember that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they've come and they've been questioning Jesus and really those questions were designed to, to trap Him and to test Him. But then a scribe comes along. And this scribe comes to question Jesus and he has a very sincere question. Pick it up in Mark 12 verse 28. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Look at Jesus' answer, verse 29. The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Let's just start right there in verse 30. Is it possible, if you're lonely, is it possible that your loneliness is not a loneliness for human companionship, But is it possible that it is a loneliness for God? Am I trying to fill the void in my heart with something or someone other than God? Could it be that I am lonely for the Lord? That is the first place that we need to stop doing some self-examination. It's not wrong to be lonely due to a lack of human relationships. But you know what? When I'm not loving the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, then that's going to live a big gaping hole in my life and it's going to leave me feeling empty and alone. And of course, people in our world today, they try to fill that hole with everything. Everything from drugs and alcohol to thrills and excitement to bad relationships. Maybe they even try to fill that hole with with good things like, like work and recreation. But as we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we were studying in the book of Ecclesiastes, all of that is ultimately vanity. And why is that? Because only God can fill that void. As one man said, there is a God-shaped hole in our soul that only God can fit inside. And amen to that. And so if I am feeling lonely, I need to just stop and I need to start right here. I need to assess. Am I right with God? Where am I in my relationship to the Lord? Do I love the Lord with everything that I've got, with all of my being? But I don't want to stop there. Once I've figured out where I am with the Lord, maybe things are good with the Lord, then I want to take that a step further. Look at the very next verse in Mark 12, verse 31. Jesus said, the second great commandment is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these two. That verse is so crucial to someone who is lonely because what it demands and what it asks of us is to be searching and looking for opportunities to love and to serve someone else. I think that's a tremendous step. It is a necessary step in overcoming loneliness. You know, I often think about all of our modern society's answers and solutions to the problem of loneliness. Think about the fact that there are Starbucks coffee shops that pop up on practically every corner these days. Or think about the proliferation of all of the different social networking sites, Facebook and Instagram and the like. And how it is possible because of those things to socialize and to connect with and to get to know people all over the world at all times of the day, all hours, everywhere. And we can just have tons and tons and tons of friends. And so it makes me wonder... Why is it that people are still so alone? One guy wrote a book a few years ago talking about 
bowling alone. How more and more people are bowling alone. Well, why is that? Well, maybe it's because knowing a lot of people and having a bunch of names and having a bunch of contacts and numbers in my cell phone, that that's not actually the same as practicing the second great commandment, is it? If I want to truly connect with someone... The answer for me to do that is to not go down to the shopping mall and hang out at the food court. The solution to that problem is not for me to get on my computer or my smartphone and open myself up a Twitter account. No, if I want to find real human connection, then I need to seek to love and serve another person. By doing that, by putting myself aside, by doing what is good and what is best for someone else, then I am planting the seeds for a genuine relationship. You know, whether we want to admit it or not, the reason many times that we are so lonely is because we're not trying to love others as ourselves. No, we're trying to find others who will love us as much as we love ourselves. We're looking for people who will finally realize just how amazing and wonderful I really am. We're looking for people who will be quiet and shut up so that I can talk and tell my stories and they can listen to me all the time. We're looking for people who will love me because after all, I love me. You see, many times the reason we fail to forge quality relationships is because we're not looking for friends. No, we're looking for a cheering section. We're looking for groupies. We're looking for people who will make us the center of attention. Where's Mark 12, 31 in that kind of thinking? Where's the spirit of service and sacrifice that Jesus patterned for us long ago? In fact, have you ever noticed that Jesus had lots of friends? He did. Wherever Jesus went, multitudes of people were just drawn to Jesus. On certain occasions, Jesus had to actually run away, had to run up into the mountains, had to jump onto a boat to get away from His adoring public. Well, what was it that caused people to be so attracted to Jesus? Was it, was it his money? No. Was it his dashing good looks? No. Was it his charisma and charm and personality? No. What was it? You know what it was. Mark 10 verse 45. It's the fact that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the consummate example of what it means to serve others. And it is because of that that people today, some 2,000 years later, we are still drawn to Jesus. We still want to be Jesus' friend. Jesus loved others more than He loved Himself. That's why Jesus is so appealing. If you are lonely this evening, then I need to just ask you very straightforwardly, Who are you seeking to love more than you love yourself? Who are you serving? When is the last time that you got out there and you did something good for somebody else and you didn't expect anything in return? I should tell you that if you would be willing to drop the pity party and if you would be willing to adopt this kind of service mentality, then chances are you will receive something in return. Because the very strongest relationships on earth, they are fostered always by a spirit of service. Isn't it amazing 
How the Bible just cuts right to the core of what it is that we need. How the Bible provides help and hope for us. In fact, I would even recommend that as you're doing that reading about what the Bible says about loneliness, that you also do some reading and you also do some studying about what the Bible says on friendship. You know, there's certainly some lessons that we can learn from lonely people in the Bible. We looked at Elijah. We made reference to that lonely moment in Jesus' life. But you know, there's also a lot of really great friendships in the Bible. People that we can learn from. Friends like David and Jonathan. Or friends like Paul and Barnabas. Or even Jesus and the Twelve. Just some remarkable friendships in Scripture. You want to read those. You want to observe those relationships. You want to see how those friendships work. And you then want to seek to develop those same kinds of qualities in your own life. You look, for example, at David and Jonathan's friendship. It would have been real easy for David to say, You know, Jonathan, I I just can't be your friend, buddy. Your dad doesn't like me. Saul hates my guts. He's trying to kill me all the time. I think I'm just going to have to find somebody else to be friends with. No. No, David was fiercely loyal to Jonathan and vice versa. You want to look at that. You want to learn from that. Or maybe you look at Paul and you look at Barnabas. Those guys, like friends often do, they got into an argument. The book of Acts tells us about that. Got into an argument about whether or not they should take John Mark on the second missionary journey. It would have been real easy for them to get so mad at each other that they end up slandering one another that they end up destroying any semblance of a relationship and they never care about each other ever again, become mortal enemies. But instead, Paul comes along in some of his later epistles and Paul is able to say nothing but good things about his friend and his brother Barnabas. You want to take note of those kinds of qualities. You want to take note of those characteristics about friendships and you want to try to find ways to implement those into your own relationships so that they will grow deeper and stronger and better. And can I just just suggest right here in this regard that maybe the book of the Bible that we want the very most in this is going to be the book of Proverbs. In fact, would you turn over to Proverbs? Proverbs is just really helpful in defining some of the do's and some of the don'ts of a good friendship. Look, for example, in Proverbs chapter 25. In Proverbs 25, I'll give you just a couple. In Proverbs 25, look in verse 17. In Proverbs 25, verse 17, look at this. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Translation, if you want to make friends, don't stay late at my house past midnight and wake my baby up, lest my wife be angry with you. Maybe just turn over a page. Look in Proverbs 27. In Proverbs chapter 27, look in verse 14. Here's another one. Proverbs 27 verse 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Translation, if you want to make friends, don't call my cell phone at 5 a.m. because you want to have a chit-chat lest you become my enemy. Those are just a couple of some of the common sense guidelines for building good relationships. And let's just be honest. There's just some folks who could really use some help in that department. I'm not trying to paint with broad strokes here, but it has been my observation that lonely people, people who are sometimes kind of loners, they do tend to be socially awkward sometimes. 
They don't always know what's the right thing to say or this is the wrong thing to do. They don't know how to observe those social graces. And the book of Proverbs, in its practical wisdom, it helps to clue us in on what is the best way to interact with others, how to communicate, how to act in certain situations, how to develop meaningful relationships. And what all this is to say is that if you are lonely, don't just sit there being lonely. Try. Love the Lord. Love others. Get out and serve. Learn from the Bible about friendship. And then put that stuff into your life's practice. Too often when we are lonely, what we do is we try to extinguish our loneliness with things that just don't work like television or just scrolling through our phone mindlessly for hours on end or maybe going to the office and working more hours there. None of that. None of that's really going to satisfy. Let's examine our relationship with God. Let's examine our relationships with others. Let's examine friendship under the microscope of Scripture and then let's let God work through us and in us and for us so that we can overcome loneliness. Now, with all of this in mind, let me set before you two final important challenges and admonitions before we close this evening. So I need you to listen very carefully and you think about where you are in all of this. First of all, if you are lonely, I am challenging you this week to reach out and to find someone that you can serve and that you can love. And I know somebody is going to just jump in immediately and they're going to say, I've tried, Josh. I have. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and just didn't seem to go anywhere. Well, I'm going to urge you to try again. Try again, maybe with a different attitude this time. Try making a connection by loving someone else and not expecting anything in return. Quit trying so hard to get them to love you. You just love and serve them. And then secondly, if you are listening this evening and you are not lonely, could you please open up your eyes and look around a little bit and maybe see who is lonely? Who in this congregation is lonely? Who may be in your community is lonely? Who is it that you have observed that you could be a help to? Who is it that maybe is widowed? Who is it that's single? Who is it that doesn't really seem to talk to anybody or appear to have many friends? Who is it that maybe just recently you've noticed they just are kind of down and they're kind of just quick to get out of here and they just go back and retire to their cave until the next time we see them? Who is it that you can make an effort to encourage and to assist and to love? Please do not sit here this evening and say, Wow, I tell you what, that sure was a sad lesson. And you know what? I'm thankful that I'm not lonely. My life is full of all kinds of great relationships. i got all kinds of friends. Man, I'm just so blessed. And so I guess this lesson doesn't really apply to me. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. It applies to all of us. People who maybe are not lonely pay very careful attention. You can make application of this lesson. You must make application of this lesson by reaching out and being a friend to someone else. Christianity in particular was never meant to be a solo endeavor. And as the church, we are called to love and to serve and to share our concerns for one another so that no child of God is ever truly alone. 
We must demonstrate for each other what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 that two are better than one. Back in 1935, in 1935, T.O. Chisholm, he penned the lyrics to the beautiful hymn, Be With Me, Lord, in which one of the stanzas he wrote this, Be with me, Lord, when loneliness overtakes me, when I must weep amid the fires of pain, and when shall come the hour of my departure for worlds unknown, O Lord, Be with me then. Even in our loneliest state, even in those moments when our eyelids are about to close in death and we are about to make that transition from this life to the next, even there, the Lord is with us. He does not leave us alone. He makes it possible for us to persevere to the very end so that when that departure comes, we will be ready and prepared to meet Him and we can be with Him face to face, person to person, throughout all of eternity. I'll guarantee you this, in heaven, in heaven ain't nobody going to be lonely. Let's pray. Would you pray with me, please? Our dear gracious God, Lord, we come before you this evening so thankful that we can have relationship with you. Father, we are thankful that your son has been here and that he has experienced the depths of loneliness. How thankful we are, Lord, that we are never truly alone to know that you are with us. And so we do ask, Lord, that you grant us better appreciation, greater clarity of your love for us, that we might enjoy our relationship with you even more. Father, we are thankful also for the guidance and for the hope that your word gives us, not only to improve our relationship with you, but our relationships with others as well. Father, help us in times of loneliness to avoid temptation and sin. Help us, Father, to find the joy in serving others. Help us, Father, to help each other so that we might never be alone. Father, one day we desire so very much to be assembled around your throne and to be with the saints of all time. Father, we look forward to that day, and we ask you to help us along the way, and help us to help each other so that we can get there someday. Father, we ask a special blessing upon those who struggle with loneliness because of various life circumstances and situations, many of which are beyond our own control. We ask, Father, for you to bless them, help them to look around, help us to be a blessing to them so that we can all help each other to serve you each day. We thank you for Jesus. We're thankful for the salvation that brings us all together into your family through His blood. And it is in His precious name that we pray. And amen.